0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? No. Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were and you I, wearing Lederhausen? I uh, was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely was. And I was drinking Steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming... Need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to Hausenberg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German (laughs) (laughs) Shepherds. And so, so then in this dream, I I finished my giant beer and Mm -hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got.
1: Wait, were you in Canada or were you in the US?
0: Well, I was in North America. I was somewhere. It's not important exactly Okay. Where. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So, guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach Lapointe. Mach Lapointe. I just yep. got under Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful.
1: wonderful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm. in his all of his fancy equipment, the yep. duchy that I got from House Amberg Shepherds, mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then. I was training a dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. And- uh, Fancy I, that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog park daddy. <laughs> I said, fuck you. I don't want to, but I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia while you're at work and will do like a little bit of training session with your dog while you're gone.
1: No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melanie Benway. I was talking
0: about Kindred Canine. So I gave those details anyway. So I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy Mm -hmm. and then I had to come back to Australia and I brought the dog. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. He left it all there. left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs,
1: harnesses, dog mills, blah, 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 blah. Bullfed central. Ironswick dog quip. Ironswick bullfed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around Mm -hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Amberg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom cray pill by the Buffett. Wow. Einswick.com. Einserwiener? Einserwiener. Yeah.
1: Einserwiener. Andes, yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Welcome back to Australia, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have made entry without any quarantine requirements. Mm. I was legit terrified. Yeah, I know. I
1: I know. I remember you telling me prior to going that one of your major concerns was a COVID outbreak happening either here or there, and you not being able to re-enter the country. Yes. So for people who are listening, obviously Pat went over to New Zealand to do yeah. a seminar.
0: Went to New Zealand, had an mm.
1: amazing time mm. and blogged it. I yeah, vlogged it. I vlogged, vlogged, it, it. Yeah. V-log. vlogged it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did a vlog of it. I'm really happy with it. Um I just watched it with you in the kitchen and you did an amazing job. Yes. Yeah, uh, Thanks Patreon I, team for yeah. funding the fund for
0: Yeah, and so the whole vlog is really for me it's practice in filmmaking skills. I'm kind of I'm obsessed with it at the moment and like I as I said in our group when I posted it, I wanted I've got a bunch of stories I want to tell, mm. and I'm just trying to develop the skill set within video production yep. to do justice to the stories I want to tell. So, like, the vlog is just practice for that. But it went well. I think I'm pretty happy with it. And the seminar was amazing. I had an amazing time in New Zealand. But what was happening, what happened is leaving customs in Australia. It's the first time I've done that since the great since shutdown. February 2020, I think, yeah. was the last time we yeah. both left the shores. Yeah. Mm. And so, there's a new step. When you put your, so first of all, it's like the airport's, you know, empty Mm. and you put your your passport into the machine to leave. And the first thing that comes up on the screen is like, I acknowledge and consent to the fact that right now I have the ability to travel freely between Australia and New Zealand. Yep. But that could change at any moment. Yeah. And then they sort of explain to you, they're like, you know, things happen. So like, even if there's not an outbreak, there's green and red zones within Mm. the airport And if there's an administrative error and someone from the red zone walks into the green zone and you're in the green zone and that happens, like you're going into quarantine as though you were from the red zone. Yeah. So it was a bit sort of, I was like, I stood there and stared at it for a good 10 seconds before I was like, yeah, okay, I acknowledge and consent to that. And then New Zealand do the Mm. same thing to you. So you then. You cop it four times, so yep. this, Like
1: this could happen, and one of the reasons why you're inspired for that not to happen is Jane is about to hatch. Yeah. <laughs> baby, baby so, number two. Have you got? Have you worked out the name yet? Like you have? Yeah, real, yeah, we're thinking. Are you gonna announce it or is it a secret?
0: Uh, we're still thinking about it. So we've got we're like ninety percent sure on one. Yeah, yep. but we'll wait until we see him to make sure. Okay. But yeah, so I just don't have time to quarantine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Brisbane for the IGP Nationals this weekend and then I'm on the Sunshine Coast the following weekend. And so, that would have, I would have missed both those things if mm. I was quarantined. So, anyway, it didn't happen. It's all good. I'm back. Wonderful time in New Zealand. Thank you so much to the guys that hosted me there. It was wonderful. I think I'm. Like obviously had a great time. Facility was good. People yep. were good, all that, but also like it could have been terrible and I would have still thought it was wonderful Yeah, <laughs> because it was just the first opportunity to get back to doing it. They could have kicked me in the dick, called me an asshole and it would be like, this is
1: the best trip ever guys.
0: <laughs> but no, it was great. They were fantastic. So yeah, happy to be back though. Very cool. Yeah. What's going on? What are we talking about?
1: I was looking online the other day, as we generally do, when we source what type of topics, what we want to talk about, being a people show and all. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics that was floating around a lot of the time, I heard people mentioning it on our favorite app, Clubhouse. Mm. And I also read it online and Instagram and Facebook, that people get increasingly frustrated about how much effort and time and value they put into their dog's training, only to have it ruined or disregarded. By their inferior other or their significant their inferior other. I shouldn't say that. Their significant other. I heard. I one of the ladies on the line on the on the line online was <laughs> saying that her inferior other had pushed her training back by about three months because he was doing things with the dog that were rewarding the dog being outrageously disobedient mm-hmm. and things that he found funny. And she said, "I just find that infuriating." and disappointing that Mm -hmm. I put in this work for us only to have it set back. And I thought to myself, wow, the amount of times I've heard that in a career of dog training, and I'm sure in the term that you've been involved in it, and probably many people who are trainers in our industry who listen to this podcast, it's one thing that comes up regularly. Yeah, It's a topic that we have touched on and we've mentioned, and it's been a, you know, it's probably in one of those, ask us anything uh, episodes. But I thought, you know, it is a it is a significant problem. It is something around the world. It's a global epidemic in households where mm. regularly both the custodians of the dog, if you want to call them that, both custodians of the dog have a difference of opinion on how the dog trained. It's rare that you will get a couple that synchronize and understand, you know, this is how it is and this is how it's got to be. So, you know, you and I, we both know individually and we know collectively people where that does happen, where for argument's sake, it might be a household where it's a, a sporting dog, regardless of whether the handler is the husband or the wife or partner or whoever it is, the other accepts this dog can't be messed with. Mm-hmm. And they might have a, like, you know, like a an understanding where the dog is separated from the other person for a period of time because they really don't want any sort of misalignment in all the work that they're trying to do during that period of time. So I thought it's a good topic. It's an interesting point Mm. because it's something that Narelle and I have even talked about when we're doing things with the dogs. Like she might say for argument's sake with the Frenchies that she spends time getting them under control and I do all the fun stuff with them. So they're rewarded by antics that she Mm -hmm. thinks isn't really approved. And she's right because Mm -hmm. I fuck up the things that she she likes to do with the dogs to maintain them because I find other things are funnier and I'm prepared to live with it. But Narelle says, well, that's not really fair for me when you're not considering that I'm trying to calm them down because I spend 90% of the time with them and I'm doing the feeding and I'm doing the, you know, like the toileting and so forth. And I kind of thought, well, I've just read this online and I'm looking at it from the point of view of the person who is putting it in the work. And you're right. I'm being the asshole at home. That is- (laughs) That is ruining her control mechanisms that she's putting in place to keep yep. them, you know, more in line with the behavior that's more acceptable for being inside. So here we are with a topic. Let's talk about it. Well, I think there's two layers to it. Mm. I, I think that that issue can
0: sometimes be used as an excuse in training. Mm. And I don't think that it necessarily carries over to behaviors as in monkey drills, as yep. in healing and all blah, 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 versus behavior modification and lifestyle type stuff. Mm. So I think sometimes we hear people say, you know, there's an issue of drive and motivation and even precision because my partner trains a dog in a particular way or somebody else trains a dog and they've caused this issue. Mm. I don't buy that so much because I think that it's very contextual. And so I've seen your dogs and I've had dogs that are really highly trained for one person in the living situation and like a sloppy mess for the other mm. And the dog just reads it and goes, hey, like, you know how to reinforce me appropriately and you provide consequences, positive and negative for action and inaction. Mm. Whereas you, the other partner doesn't, so you'll get a different version of me, right? So, like, I think that dogs and people, you kind of play the character that you're assigned within the social context. Yeah, they're transformative, right? Yeah. Mm. So, like, take my own life, for example. Remy works for me. And he doesn't really do anything Jane says. And it's not for lack of like something she's done or hasn't done. It's just, he doesn't do anything anybody says really Mm. other than me. And so it's not that she can say that he's untrained or just pays her off or something like that. It's like, that's how his living situation is with everybody. Mm. And I don't mind that because she doesn't take him out and work him like he does. I don't need him to listen to anybody other than me. Yep. But what we have to align and that's, so that's the first part is like the actual training of monkey drills. Like, you know what dog trainers want to teach their dogs to do tricks or whatever. I just think you can't blame your partner or person you live with for undermining those things. But what you certainly can blame them for is lifestyle stuff mm. because that's where the dog is reading both. And is like, okay, like within this home, how do I live? Right? Mm. Like, what are the rules you know, within here? And then I think it's possible that a dog sort of reads a play and says, When person A is here, the rules are this. And when person B is here, the rules are this. And then when they're both together, I have to find a a level that appeases everybody. You know, I think that that's possible. But I think for sure when you deal then with, say, reactivity issues or, you know, like when you're fixing problems, that's where the actions of one person within a household can massively underpin, undercut you know, fuck up the actions of another. Mm. Like if you know, if your dog has a reactivity issue, let's just make up an example, like they're scared of the back door or whatever, right? And you're slowly convincing them that's not a scary thing and you're desensitized counter condition and you're like three months into a a six month protocol and you're you're on track and it's all going really well mm. in your absence, that could just be pulled out from underneath you by the sloppy actions of someone else or, yep. or the you know not careful or uncalculated actions of someone else that can be stolen from you in an instant because that is, you were in that moment attempting to change who the dog is. Mm. And so who the dog is can be influenced by everyone the dog interacts with. I think that's fair to say, right? Like that's who the dog is in his mind, his personality and how he fits into the world he's subject to inputs from everybody he encounters to make a decision about that kind of thing. So mm. if he's reactive about things, other people can make him more reactive. But so I think you definitely can blame your partner in that situation, but it's when it's the monkey drills of like, oh, he's sitting slow because my partner lets him sit slow. I just don't buy that. You know, like I just don't get that yeah. because take, for example, like it used to be that uh, when Rip was staying at my parents' place a couple of days a week, where, before he started school, Valerie would go with him and Valerie would do stuff for my dad and he would, she would do it right. Like she would do what he says, Mm. but not with the same precision that she would do it for me. Mm. And those two versions of her existed at the same time. Like it was never as though I had to then like the way he trained her and did things with her caused me any change in what she did for me because she was just like, oh, this is Pat's style of reinforcing me and what he expects before that reinforcement comes and the actions he will take in order to make sure that those behaviors go ahead Mm. versus my dad's style of reinforcing her and the actions he would take in order to make sure those things go ahead. So the dogs can read the play on that. Yeah.
1: That's where the transformative behavior comes from. Yeah. It's kind of like children, you know, like, the way a child will behave for the mother versus the way the child will behave from the father. Totally. And, you know, I used to say to people, to use the analogy a lot when we were talking about this very subject was, as a child, you'd love your mother, but you'd have a bit of disdain for it. You know, she was generally the workaround, especially a boy and a mother relationship. You could sort of gleam a lot more from mum than you could for dad. But when mum wanted to Keep you online, she would say these words to you. And I remember these words echoing in my head as a child. You wait until your father gets home. That was terrifying for me. That yeah. hearing those words was that instantly got me to behave because I wouldn't do the same thing for him that I would do for her. Right. Yeah. Was that you just say that's
0: because he was willing to use punishment in a way that she wasn't? And so.
1: He just like, didn't have the same tolerance that mum did. Yeah. There so was, his consequences came sooner, and, much sooner. And were yeah. more. Aversive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah.
0: More worth listening to. Absolutely. And, and so she could there, That's what's interesting about sort of like human relationships versus and training versus dog training mm. is like you can't threaten the consequence of something far in the future unless you've personally done it yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So like you can't say to the dog, you wait until Glenn gets here. Then It, you'll it get just get makes it. no sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't alter the behavior of a dog mm. because of the actions of someone else, like yep. a threat of the action of someone else.
1: No, they don't understand the future concept of it. They only, they exist in the here and now. Yeah. Mm. I guess that would be the
0: power of then, like your mum saying to you, you wait until your dad gets home. That is a marker That predicts a Mm. particular type of punishment. Mm. And if you could do that with a dog, like you could have a a neutral tone that wasn't something that somebody says, a a neutral tone within the house that one person was willing to follow through with and the other wasn't, then one person could, the person who wasn't willing to follow through with that would be able to use it, maybe. I don't know. I doubt that would work because then it would only take one rep of the consequence not coming and the dog goes, "All right, yeah, got it. That, Mm. That doesn't
1: work. See, one of the comments that I read online was a particular lady talking about her frustrations. And these aren't sporting people or dog training people. These are general public pet Mm -hmm. dogs that we're talking about. And she was talking about the level of work that she puts into the dog, you know, like how she spends all this time calculating diet. And she listens to Norel stuff and so forth. So she's doing all that raw feeding you know, like measuring everything out. So she says, you know, like I do this for the dog and I spend all this time and, you know, because I work from home, I've, you know, like I do all the toileting, I do the routines with the dogs, I keep them calm, I keep them under control, I walk them, I do this, I do that. And then when my husband comes home, you know, like all he does is get the toys out and he's the fun guy. Mm -hmm. So then I have to be the fun police and I have to police the actions of the dogs. And she said, it puts us at odds with each other Mm. because I feel like, instead of him coming home and supporting me, he comes home, the dogs are happy to see him, he gets their toys, they play tug-of-war, they run all around the lounge room, they mess everything up, the dogs knock things over. And she said, but that never happens for me when I'm at home. And I saw somebody respond to that and they said, yeah, but that's the relationship the dogs and your husband enjoy together. Mm. And they said, maybe if you find time to enjoy that relationship and sharing that together. But it was kind of saying something to me because – she just didn't really want to engage in that. Like that wasn't her idea of enjoying the dogs. Right. So maybe that says something about how you view your ideal world. And I looked at that was there were a lot of layers and mechanisms of control in there where the husband, it was my dogs, when I come home from a stressful job, and this is interpretation, this is not exact because I didn't engage in this conversation. I was just reading it as a subject matter for talking about and Mm. digesting but it kind of looked at it from the husband's point of view and this is not a man versus woman thing it's just let's take any sex out of that and put person a and person b when person b gets home from work and you know they've had a stressful day they've been around people all the day they see the dogs which are happy to see them immediately the dogs light up they light up and think oh this is relief this is fun the dogs are happy to see me. I'm happy to see them. Work sucked all day. I had to go somewhere where I didn't really want to be uh, to earn an income. But now I'm where I want to be. I'm back in my, my zone. I'm back with my fam. You know, like we're having a good time. We're spending time together. We're doing fun stuff. And in their existence right there and then, that's their perfect world of being together. But when the partner is then saying, well, that's not what I like. I don't like seeing that. I don't like seeing that level of what I consider a lack of discipline or a lack of control or a lack of respect for me. And it's an interesting one because I'm very much of a belief, and one of the key words that I tout here at work a lot when we're talking and when we're having disagreements or there has been some sort of fallout or a misunderstanding is perspective. You know, in our meetings at work, that's one thing that we talk about a lot of the times is What's your perspective? Because this is mine. So I think that when people are at odds with each other over situations like this, I guess really what needs to happen is an understanding of perspective. Like Mm. here is it from my point of view with the dogs and this is how it affects me or this is the way that I see it and then allow the other person or the party to be involved in that conversation where they're coming together and saying, well, this is my perspective, you know, and rather than it be, well, you win or I win, why not find some sort of middle ground where they can work on it together, where there can be more investment. And I know that doesn't always work because a it's a time commitment thing sometimes and people aren't just doing a 38 hour week. They're at work for 38 hours. And then when you include travel time on for the average person of, you know, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, that's another, what's that, 14 hours on top of that. So we're talking like 50 hours a week of, you know, being involved in some sort of professional outfit. Whereas when you come home, really what you don't want to be involved in is more discipline and more structure and more layers, unless you like that. Yeah. Unless you like (laughs) that. But some people just want to come home and they just want to kick around with the dogs. Yeah. But then if you're going to talk perspective, I think
0: you have to then – so, you know, in that example, you've just painted there, right? Yep. Person A is at home with the dogs and wants low arousal dogs. Yes. And person B comes home and likes high arousal dogs. Yep. That's fine. So long as like watching somebody else do something they enjoy that it doesn't float your boat is totally fine when that doesn't affect you. Yes. And and I think when you're going to talk perspective, that's the, the lens I think it has to go through. Absolutely. Is- Like I can watch someone do something that I wouldn't dream of doing and I don't like doing, I would never do, but I can look at that and go, I see you enjoying this. It doesn't affect me in any way, shape or form. So have at it, have a good time. But it's the affecting. But when it does affect you. Yeah. When it bleeds into that, it crosses over. And I think the big issue, like when I see, have seen similar issues in the household when people are at odds It's usually because someone has some level of dog training acumen and they see where that behavior goes. So it's like, okay, I'm here with the dogs and I, it's not that I don't like high arousal. It's that I have to deal with the, I don't like dealing with the consequences of it. Mm. And so then they're at home, they keep the dogs low aroused or whatever. And then the other person comes home and brings the dog into a high state of arousal and then abandons it because that's one of the, and then leaves
1: the first person. That I can understand. That I will say with that, I totally agree with because that's not perspective and that's not considerate.
0: Yeah. And Mm. that's, I think one of the biggest uh, sources of, well, I guess reactivity is the right word, right? Like where it's just that reactivity is the blanket statement yep. that we give to uh, there's arousal that I don't like. And, and it could be for many reasons, mm. but I think that's what people mean when they say the dog's reactive. It's like, he's, he's aroused and I don't like the reason. Yeah, And you know, you see it all the time. Friends of mine do it to my own dogs and that kind of stuff. And and it's, it's such a common trait, especially I guess, cause people are probably used to very low arousal dogs, but people who will bring a dog's arousal level up in the home and then just be like, good luck. Mm. And not see that through. So you see people, you know, they'll be sitting on the couch, the dog's on the floor and the dog's kind of looking at you sort of, you know, half eye on you, half eye asleep. And you look at the dog and you stare and you give, you know, like almost like intent, like, hey, do you want to play? And the dog then stands up and is like, well, of course I do. Right. Mm. And then people do like a little, like a sharp move gesture or something like that. Yeah. And it brings the dog right up in arousal and the dog goes, Okay, like now I've got like you've you've yes, I do. I consent to this game, let's do it. Mm. And then people go, That's the end of the game. And then the dog's like, Hang on, I was just a fucking sleep. Did you just ask your dog for consent? Yeah. <laughs> but the dog says, Hang on, man, I was asleep. I was in, I was happy to enjoy your calm, relaxed, low arousal company.
1: Yep. You
0: kicked me into drive yeah. and now I've got nowhere to put that. And that's how the dog becomes destructive and all the things that people then label as reactive and, and they have issues with the dog. More often than not, it's because they've brought the dog into that level of arousal yes. and they're not satiated that level of arousal. Yep. So, you know, they've like literally turned the dog on and then been like, good luck dealing with that yourself, right? Mm. And so then the dog's like, well, like you invited me to a game, I'd said yes. And then you took away the game, but I'm already in that high arousal mindset. Like I can't just turn this off. Mm. And, and I think that's where you see big problems in households is where one person really understands that. And then says like, I won't bring up the level of arousal in the dog unless I can satiate that drive. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think this is one of the issues that certainly I see in the working dog space. And so then it has to be a thousand times worse in the pet space mm. is people satiating the wrong drive. So, you know, you bring the dog into like, you know, a, a prey type arousal or or just play let's say play and then feed it and the dog's like hey that's not what i wanted right Mm. like i like food and i'll show you something that looks similar when you offer me food i'll show you a high level of arousal yeah but that's a different drive yeah you can't satiate this play that i want to have with food that's not going to tick the box Mm. so of course the dog eats the food but then he's like hey i'm still ready to go yeah i'm still done my energy's up and then people are like no i gave it to you fuck you yeah you're the dog, you go do dog stuff. Mm. And the other person in the household then is like, Oh, well, now I have to go and like first of all I have to clean up your mess. Yeah. It, well and and maybe literally, right? Yep. Because now you've brought that dog into a level of arousal where the dog's gonna start bucking like a bronco throughout the house or he's gonna knock things over, or whatever it could be, now I have to either go and like fulfill that drive that you just brought that dog into. So Mm. like now I either have to go play with the dog, even though I was busy doing something else, or I'm the one that now has to be the disciplinarian and bring the dog down. Right. And, and you know, like whatever you do to bring down that level of arousal in the dog. So the dog then looks at you as the fun killer. Right. So you're the fun starter and the dog then is, you know, you get the, the problem person who, turns on the dog, and then the other person who understands dog behavior and sees where that's going then has to be the the fun police, mm. right? And it's like, hey, you can't do that. Come back down. And I think sometimes, and certainly I've seen this in when you do in-home behavior mod, is to some people that's the game, mm. right? Like I bring the dog up in it because, you know, I'm the king of the castle, right, and I control everybody in the house because you get those Fucking assholes. (laughs) And it's like I bring the dog up into a high level of arousal and now good luck all of you. The dog I've just- The dog
1: only listens to me.
0: I've displaced you, right? Mm. So the dog now is like highly aroused and now I'm going to sit here and watch you have to fix the dog. And you see, I mean, I've seen people do that. And like when you explain that to people because- I'm sure I've caused divorces. I'm positive that probably a year later after you expose that to the people and you go, yeah, when you say to the wife, you go- You're living with a jerk off. Yeah. I was like, you know, this is his control mechanism over you, Mm. right? Like he does this on purpose to fuck you around. And then when they- like (laughs) I don't know that I've ever said it quite like that to anybody, right? It's been a long time since I've dealt with any- this specific problem. but it's one that I've seen plenty of times where Mm. you're like, Hey, you're doing this because it exerts control over everybody in the house. Right. And you get people that that's important to them, especially as you just said, shit, we're going to get deep into like psychological profiling Mm. for two dickheads that don't have any calls in it. But like, if you've been at work all day and you've been getting bossed around by your jerk off boss and then you come home and there's like a couple of people you can now like flip the switch on. That's how power plays happen all the time, right? So I
1: get it. This chick that was- There's always someone that needs to be kicked down the line. Yeah. So this chick that's complaining about her- Well, not needs to be. That's the wrong choice of words. That gets kicked down the line. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this chick that you saw complaining about her insignificant other or whatever- Yeah. I mean, first of all, to be using that language- there's some deep problems going on yeah right? yes and, yes <laughs> right yes. if you're calling your life partner your insignificant other there's bigger issues than the arousal level of the dog
1: in the house that's the language they kind of use i just get a bag of popcorn and start reading it while i'm flicking through the because this is where i come up with some of the ideas to chat about like i look at things that people write online i think oh there's some spiciness going on there yeah. let's That's some tasty stuff to get into the podcast. And I I was reading it the other day. Well, I I don't know. I was just waiting for something. I thought, "Mm, I'll go into the forums and see what people are talking about. (laughs) See what's in the zeitgeist. Yes, pretty much. That's some of the language that people are using. I thought, oh, that's that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I can't imagine calling my wife my insignificant other. No. that's, That's about as offensive a thing as you can say, I reckon. Yeah. But I think for sure that is like, aside from the malicious intent that we just kind of inferred was possible. I think that that's something that happens all the time. And I think that it can just be a pairing of, if that person was alone with the dog, they'd have this destructive reactive dog and they'd blame the dog. And you go, well actually mate, it's the way you treat the dog. And when you get two of those people together who live the life like that, then that they're the people that have that pain in the ass dog or Mm -hmm. have to get in a dog trainer. And that's how we meet those people. Right. Yeah. But when you get, one who either is the dog trainer or has the acumen to understand that and the other that doesn't. And I guess everybody enjoys dogs in different ways, right? They like, do. I think that's one of the things. You and each can... other,
1: you enjoy each other in different
0: ways. Yeah. And mm. you can enjoy the same dog in many ways as well. You know, like I, you know, I have high drive dogs and my enjoyment comes from doing high drive activities with them, but that's not to say I don't also enjoy sitting on the couch with them. Like mm. I, I enjoy that very, very much. Right. So I think that you've got to be able to play off both, man, you could distill it all down. It's like everything in dog training is like, you can have a lot, but you can't have it all, you know, like you can't have everything at once. You've got to decide, you've got to compartmentalize things and go like, okay, like how are we going to manage this? What's important to me and what, what do I, what's my number one priority? And then what's my second, my second priority. Mm. Right. But for sure it, I think it's definitely something we see quite a lot is that one person causes all the issues and the other person is trying to stop them. Regularly. Yeah. Mm. And that's the issue of dog trainers, you know, like as relationship counselors, which we really are not qualified in, but is what we find ourselves doing a lot. It's
1: incredible the amount of times. And I'm echoing on a point that you made before where you're either repairing, saving or destroying a marriage based on what you tell that person next. And I mean, you know, like I've had to have some very, very careful and considerate conversations with people over the years where, you know, when you sit down and you realize that you're the mediator between two people who have stopped talking to each other, which has happened several times where I've been in the, like they're saying to me, you need to tell her that this is how it's got to be from here on in. And they're looking at me saying, well, you can tell him. And I said, guys, like we're all adults. you got to understand, I know that you're really angry with each other and obviously there's something here that I can't deal with. The dog behavior and helping you regenerate some lines of communication, maybe, I don't know. And I said, but the marriage looks I'm going to be honest, the marriage looks in a diabolical situation at the moment,, <laughs> because you won't you know you won't even look at each other, and I said, it's you're radiating so much heat between the two of you. Yeah, I recall this conversation with a couple of me- in Melbourne, where I was sitting in their living room. It was a cold Melbourne day, but you could feel the heat from these two, the anger and the disdain they had for each other. And I said, you really need to decide whether this is about the dog because it doesn't feel about the dog to me separated literally not because of me i just said you need to go and see a professional you need to see somebody who's a counselor or a a psychologist or something because honestly this is not my wheelhouse
0: yeah well mate a line i've been finding myself saying quite a lot lately is this is outside of my spectrum of specialty yep i got ambushed recently by a client of mine's Doctor, psychologist, and occupational therapist all at once as I was going into a session, wanting to ask about his capacity to function without his assistance dog. And I was like, I'm the fucking dog trainer. Like, all of you have letters before or after your name. I have none of those things, Mm. right? I am literally here to train the dog. Like, how dare you even infer the responsibility of that to me. Yeah. Like I gave him a serve. I was like, I'm the fucking dog trainer. Mm. Like I'm the one that comes in here and makes sure that the dog doesn't shit in the house. Yep. That's my skill level. <laughs> like I'm not here to solve these level of issues and that's up to you. All I can tell you is like his capacity to train the dog and care for the dog. That's all I'm here to do. I know the the client very, very well. Like I've been in his life for five years, but you guys are the fucking experts in this space. Like I have to stay within my lane. Right. Like I think as dog traders, we, we're very often required to or invited out of our lane. And sometimes you, you got no choice. You do what you got to do in the moment. But especially that day, I was like, hey, this is a fucking ambush. You are asking me questions. I'm not qualified to answer here. So that you, so that when you make the decision, what it was that day, it was like, so when you put in the paperwork, the dog trainer said this, you absolve yourself of responsibility. Yep. And I said, I might have zero fucking qualifications, but I'm not the dumbest person in the room. Mm. Right? Like I'm not, I'm not going to be the your fall guy. That's mm. not how this is going down. So no, I will not say the things that
1: you've asked me to say. Yep. So basically they can ascend to the heavens and leave you squirreling around on earth going, Oh, yeah, Fuck. exactly. Yeah, look, it's a crazy one and it hasn't only plagued me or you or just the people in our circle, but when you deep dive into this and you look at it through the access of social media more so, but when you're speaking to people in different camps who have been involved in behavioural mods in home, in the pet dog industry, it is something that really, like people are just not ready for it. They go in a, into a house and an argument starts evolving in front of them and they're thinking, holy shit, I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't know that's what I came here to resolve. And and really, you're not qualified to resolve that. Yeah. There's no training that I know of that exists in that space other than probably spending some time with Bertie on how to better prepare yourself for it, which Birdie, if you're listening to this episode, it's probably not a bad one for you to consider putting something like that together. Because if you are in the pet dog industry, I'm telling you now- it's probably a one in five ratio that you will come up with that you're going to get into that space. Yeah, It used to be like that for me. In in when I first got into it, I come home and Narelle would say to me, how was it? And I go, it was intense. There were some pretty intense fireworks in that home over the dog. I remember one time the wife grabbed me by the hand. She came in and said, all right, sit down on the couch and bring my husband in. And we both need to talk to you. You have to tell us who's right and who's wrong. And I said, That's an incredible burden to put me under. And I said, I don't even know what the story is. She goes, well, we're going to tell you. I said, let's take some heat out of this to start with. Let's just talk at a contained level. And I said, because there's a lot of excitement around this already. And I said, you both already highly aroused. Let's bring the heat out of it. Let's stay with the facts. You know, no name calling or anything like that. Like, why don't we just take a look at the dog first and let me have a look at what the dog is doing and what I can see. And then let me sit down then with you. They were Itching itching to get into the story, like just about jumping out of their own skin. And I said, let's just take it slowly. Let's take a step back. It took me time to be able to, to be able to confidently have a discussion with people like that, because it was very intimidating when it happened to me, when I was a younger trainer and a less experienced trainer going to the house, because I was already dealing with my nerves around that situation of, I don't want to fuck this up. And I don't want to say the wrong thing, because then you feel like I've got to say something favorable here. So I come off the good guy but now what I explain to people, and I don't really do a lot of in-homes or sessions like that like I used to. I just don't have time to do it. But when I used to do it and I got my confidence up, I'd explain to people, I'm not here as the good guy or the bad guy. Mm. I'm literally here as an observer to tell you what I can see about the dog's behavior, how you can reevaluate your relationship and the dog's relationship to better suit the your outcomes. Yeah. How you can modify that behavior. Exactly. Yeah. That was what I was looking for. Those words. So how you can modify that behavior. But, uh, you know, as I said, I'm not, I'm not here to, to play favorites or tell you that somebody won or somebody lost. It's not really about that. It's about what the house needs to do in order to get the best out of the dog. So you, everybody can win. And that's really what we should be looking for. Right. And, you know, you'd sort of see people like looking at you going, mm, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted you to come and tell this asshole that they're wrong. But, You can't walk away from that situation and there's no conclusion after that. It's just another layer of another fight that's destined to come. Whereas I think what you need to do is you need to say, basically, guys, I'm Switzerland about the fighting. I'm just here for the resolution. That's what I'm here for. Not to come here and and kick ass. You might have a different way of doing it. I don't know how how you do it. I mean, there have been significant things in the past where I've said, you know, like I've pulled someone aside and said, you've got to stop doing this. Like really, it just doesn't resolve well for anybody for this to continue to happen. You might see a bit of smirking or if it's another guy and I'm a guy, it's kind of like, oh, come on, man, you know what it's like. And I said, no, not really. I wouldn't put my wife in this position to do this, or I wouldn't put the dog in this position to do it. When I was a younger guy, I might've agreed with them because I might've thought, you know, I want to be cool and I, I don't want to get people offside. I want people to think that I'm hip and I'm with it and I'm on your side or anything like that. But as you develop, I think you change in it and you mature in it and you develop more of an understanding of really what needs to be done to benefit the dog. And after all, we're kind of champions of the dogs in our field. That's kind of the management process that we've taken on. So when you're a champion of the dog, you've got to go in there and say, really guys, this is what I see. And this is what needs to change. And you guys really need to have a strong conversation now about how everybody is going to set about changing that. Yeah. You know, in circumstances like that, that's where I lean into the highly scientific
0: language mm. because it removes that emotion. Yeah, yeah. So when you're saying to people like, you know, when they've got to radically change the way they live with the dog in order for everybody to you know, be happy and safe, when you're telling people, hey, what you're doing is wrong because you're causing these issues – that's where I revert to the base definition of reinforcement yeah where I say the reason that is happening is because you're reinforcing it and it's like I don't want it to happen I'm like no I know but you are through action increasing the frequency and likelihood of the behavior and yep. that is the definition of reinforcement and so like for me in that sort of tension within the in-home behavior mod type stuff, That's how I usually remove the tension from the situation is becoming extremely clinical in my language and scientific. Mm. And that means, you know, sometimes we hear people say, You know, when you're in – like, people don't care about operant conditioning and classical conditioning. They just need to hear the answer to their problem. And sometimes I agree. Like, sometimes when you just – when it's an easy easy solution, you go, oh, I just don't do this anymore Mm. or start doing this. They don't need the lecture on – when someone's – you're teaching the dog to be calm before going outside, wait at the door and that kind of stuff. You say, you know, like, restrict him here and wait until he gives that behavior and then open the door or or whatever. You don't need to go into the deep science of it. Mm. But when you start getting emotional – And it's because of the way that people live with the dog. That for me is that's the line in the sand where I absolutely go, okay, we can remove all the emotion from this Mm. and be very clinical and say your actions, whether you want them to be or not, are reinforcing. And people go, you know, like – I don't. And you go, no, no, no. I mean, in the scientific term, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are increasing the frequency and likelihood of the behavior. And then you can go into those funny examples where you can say, you know, you explain operant conditioning to people and you say, if a dog's trying to bite you and it's intent on biting you and you kick it in the head and it that makes it want to bite you more, that's technically positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. right? Because you've done something, you've added something that increases the frequency and likelihood. So it's like we need to just, get very scientific on those terms. And and especially an example like that, that's so outrageous, right? That really allows people to then go, oh, right. And, and put the, that filter over the whole thing. And mm. and then you can start addressing the way you live with this dog is reinforcing the behaviors because the dog is getting something from it or you know, it's causing it, blah, blah, blah. But you never need to look people in the eye and say, you're the problem. Mm. You can then say, hey, Because of circumstance and situations and the way your dog perceives it and blah, 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 that's reinforcing it's going to continue to increase the frequency and likelihood. And then that's where a lot of the times – where I find this kind of thing super helpful is with dogs for sure, but with kids as well. Mm. Because when you tell someone, hey, you're not doing right by that dog, a lot of people go, well, fuck, what do I do? I don't know. Like, how am I meant to know? This is my first dog, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people are fine by that. But you can't say that to someone and their kid, and nor would I. But sometimes if you can see someone digging a hole for themselves and you want to offer help, you know, I'm very careful who I do this stuff to because, you know, you raise a kid, you do whatever, right? That's none of my business. But when they're friends with my kid and then they influence my kid, it becomes my business at that point, Right. And recently with one of Rip's friends, the kid got like, they, they did something. I can't remember what it was, but the kid got given a timeout and he talked his way out of it, right? They both did it and Rip tried to talk his way out of it, but there was none. I was like, no, you're getting that. You're going to your room and you're staying there until for 10 minutes or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then the other kid is then waiting basically. And I said to the guy, cause he's a friend, I said, Hey, yeah, that's a bad move, right? It's like what do you mean? And that what he said was he goes, "Oh, because the the smirk on the kid's face, like the kid knew he won." And the guy identified that. Yeah. And I was like, "That but really is because he talked his way out of what was meant to be a punishment, which means he escaped it." Yeah. And the difference between punishment and negative reinforcement is there's a way out of negative reinforcement mm. and there's no way out of punishment. Yep. So, he will continue to push your buttons knowing there's a way to turn off the pressure that you've applied. Mm. Right. And I think it went over his head. I don't, I don't think he fully understood what I was saying, but I was like, I will be effective. Like my kid ain't coming out and doing that again. Mm. Right. But yours is because he knows when you say that he's in trouble, he knows how to turn off that trouble. My kid knows there's no way other than doing the time. All right. They're going to be separated for 10 minutes. They don't see each other very often. That's a big hit to both of them. Right. But yep. your kid's going to continue that path and it becomes, you know, that's a fucking tricky conversation to have with people about their kids. But when you can apply the very scientific knowledge and you say, Hey, because there was a way out of the pressure you applied, that's negative reinforcement. That's
1: not punishment. The punishment, there can be no escape, only avoidance. Right. However, Something to consider on that is while you're talking to me and my sort of brain was ticking over is what did the kid really win when they were still separated anyway? Well,
0: that's why it had to go the way it did is because Mm. then, but then I'm the asshole, right? Like when we're back to the original topic of one person treating the other and I have to have the talk with Rip after I'm like, hey man, like he doesn't understand the science of it, but he knows like in that moment I feel it looks like I'm the bad guy, but I'm the good guy. I'm doing this because you got to learn, right? You guys Mm. can't be punching each other in the face like that. Like you've got to, when the situation escalates, I have to put a stop to it in a way where you'll never let it escalate that way again. And of course what you see is like he learns to modulate his behavior and be more appropriate and socialize better and blah, 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 all those things. Mm. It's interesting. The literature on kids is fascinating how many young boys are, very aggressive right and have to be socialized through that it's like a quarter of them Mm. and what happened like man i can remember there was this cafe near our place that was like a it was called hide and seek it was a kid's cafe like a kid's friendly cafe it was like there was like a jungle gym kind of thing you could just put the kids in and we used to go there all the time and then just one day rip just started punching everyone in the head right like straight up and it's about two years old and it's a really dangerous time I'm, i'm really glad i was aware of what was happening because you think, oh, what's going wrong with my kid? But it's really normal, mm. but it's very embarrassing because your kid's causing all the issues. Now, they can't hurt each other, thank God, right? They're like two years old. It's kind of no big deal. Yeah. But when he's just straight up unprovoked attacking, like violently attacking within their capacity to do it, other kids, a lot of people then – and this is what we see with dogs as well. The literature on this is on humans, but I think it applies 100% to puppies mm. – is that then you're know you mortified that this is happening. Where did this come from? I don't promote this behavior. So you never put the kid in that situation again, right? And that's what a lot of people do to the dog as well. They see a little bit of aggression, reactivity or whatever, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to be the person with the aggressive dog. So they never go into that situation again. And that is self-fulfilling prophecy. You become the person with the aggressive dog because you don't socialize through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally support that. And that's what happens with kids. And the literature explains you got to – Like you got to socialize them through it. Get back on the horse. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. so, man, we were there all the time with the little troublemaking kid, but it was like, you know, a few weeks and then it's, it's gone. Yeah. But you see now other kids that, you know, one in four, it's a super common thing Mm. that didn't get socialized through it. are lifelong going to have aggression management issues. Right. And they're going to be those aggressive personality types. So like it's (laughs) understanding that kind of stuff, I think is super important, but yeah, we should talk dogs, not kids, because it's well, so far outside our wheelhouse. It,
1: it is, but it's interesting how it all correlates and how the science was evolved to cross over between species. Yeah. It's still relatable because we're still talking about behavioral sciences to a degree. And I agree that neither you or I are experts in raising children, or you are more than I am. What, like one,
0: one kid that's doing but, pretty good. And you've got one, <laughs> another, another one, one on covered. the way.
1: Yeah. But the reality is. In a situation like that, I often relate to and think back on when I was reading The 12 Rules of Life from Jordan Peterson. Yeah, And he was pretty much words to the effect of stating that kids only get one set of parents. They don't need to be their best friends. They need to be their parents. They need to mentor them through life. Yeah, And I agree wholeheartedly with that. When I watch parents that are too caught up in their children's lives and want to know everything and micromanage everything and try and be their best friend and everything like that. It's your children, right? So if you listen to this and you think, get fucked Glenn, you're not even a father, you know, like how, how dare you? Fair enough. That's fine. I'll cop that on the chin. But when I do see parents doing that and their kids have got no respect for them and treat them like a mate rather than parents, I kind of think, well, that's, that's what you generated, you know, and I watch people do that same sort of thing with their dogs too, where they want this level of control, they want this level of respect, but they don't do anything to cultivate it. Yeah, And I do agree that parents do need to – you are their only parents, the only parents they'll ever have. So if you're mothers and mothers and fathers and fathers or mothers and fathers or whatever mixture you are, really when you look at the sensibility behind it, you're the only people that your children can come back to and say, you're my parents – You won't know every single thing that they need to do. I mean, you need to raise them to a standard where you can empower them to learn about that. And when they're old enough, they can go out into the world and say, because my parents spent that, or my parent spent the time with me and was able to, and I know this is not always the same, you know, like there are caveats in place where that's hard. That's very hard to do, but To the best of your ability, if you can empower that child like we're talking about in raising puppies and into capable and competent dogs, if you can do the same thing with your child, that child will be empowered forevermore in their life to look toward any challenge and basically say, you know, my mum and dad or my parents taught me how to combat these systems and how to feel comfortable around it. Or if I'm feeling really fucked up about it, I can go back to them and saying, mum and dad, I'm not coping well, what should I do? And maybe they're the same people say, well, we don't know, but we can look into it for you. You know, like we are family after all, and we can cultivate some sort of answer together. I think in a household, people need to have that same sort of understanding with their dogs as well. Yes, dogs are fun and, and you definitely want to enjoy them. And some people call them fur babies and so forth. But in the reality, we're a different species. And again, to preach on reality, in reality, you need to understand that Whatever your dog does is because of the environment it was raised in, mm. to a high degree. Yeah, there's not the always genetic component. Yeah. That's right. There is again when we talk about caveats in and out of things. There are caveats where you can basically say, well, genetics does dictate a certain degree of things. But there's the old saying that I keep saying to people all the time: is the dog is a product of the environment it was raised in. Mm. And again, with the caveat of genetics, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the trick with dealing in modifying behavior. Mm is consistency, right? And yeah. I think that's what oh, yeah. that's what gets left behind in the conversation sometimes with kids as much as with puppies. And we should keep talking about puppies, not kids. But okay. it's about that being consistent. And you never want to be the – like yeah, back to what you were talking about with the two people in the household at the start. Like mm. I don't want to be the fun police all the time, right? Like I don't want to be having to stop the good times. But when the good times are dangerous or the, like the good times become the dangerous times mm. – Like I've got to stop that and I've got to stop that consistently so you know that it's never available. And I think that's that's what kind of gets tricky with young dogs and being in the house is when people are like, man, I just don't want to be on his ass all the time. And that's the role of management where we're like, hey, well, don't put him in a position to do the wrong thing. Mm. If you're not prepared to 100% every time he does something that's inappropriate within the house, provide the consequence for that then don't let it happen because the real issue is the inconsistent consequence. First of all, like the lack of consequence for a behavior that's cute in a puppy that then becomes a, a huge problem in an adult dog. Yep. That's a big issue. Mm. But the inconsistent consequence is even worse. Mm. I would rather say to people, like if you're totally unprepared to give any form of punishment, then don't do it at all. Yep. Right. Let the dog go rogue because then at least he he's happy being rogue. Right, Or just being a dog. Just, yeah. just following the guidelines, Just doing that, whatever he feels like, not yeah. knowing he's Default doing it. Default setting dog. Yeah. So yeah. that's a better way of saying it, right? So like take, for example, toilet training, right? Mm-hmm. Like people who don't want to put the work in for the crate and management and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, if you're happy to just let the dog shit anywhere, then he can just shit anywhere for the rest of his life, right? Yep. And he doesn't know he's doing the wrong thing. It's just, it's just a thing that he does and there's no consequence for it. The problem becomes when you're not prepared to do the management work and you intermittently punish the dog for doing things that you no longer want it to do because that's how you'll fuck up the dog it's that intermittent unclear like essentially what you know, in all the literature that tells us that punishment is a problem and has negative consequences and creates aggression and all those kinds of things, the caveat is always that it's non-contingent use. Mm. You'll always find that. You will not find a single study where they say punishment's not an issue and works and should go ahead, where there was any miscommunication or lack of clarity around why that punishment was happening. Yep. In every instance, when they say punishment causes a shutdown dog... Punishment causes aggression, punishment causes – what's some of the other shit they say? You know, all the – All of them. All the bullshit you hear, that's 100% true when it's non-contingent punishment. And it's Mm. not even really punishment then. It's just –
1: A misunderstanding. No no control around it. Can't control the outcome. That's right. At that
0: point, it's just aversives delivered for no reason.
1: And even if you have a
0: very clear decision and intent and picture around an aversive you give the dog – If you're not prepared to do it a second time, then you're non-contingent use. Mm. Because if the dog can't make the association to something. And it's got to be scalable too. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, let's go to like the most obvious and tiny thing. You got a dog that like jumps on the counter, counter surfs, right? And you just give him a little leash pop, like, hey, knock it off, right? So that's the level of punishment we're talking. And then one day he does it and you're like, oh, I can't be bothered. Well, the first time you did it was great. That's positive punishment, used it effectively, right? But then the second time you observe him doing it and you go, I don't care in this moment – your first time of positive punishment just became non-contingent use mm-hmm. because now there's no like consistent consequence for an action yep. and that's how you'll fuck up your dog. And that's what I see a lot of the big issues that we see in the home is when someone is saying like, yeah, I have, I understand that. I yeah. get it. That's intuitive yep. to me. Whether, I ha- whether I'm whether i trained in it or not, I understand it. Got it. Right. It might be that I've, I've read the books and I understand it or it's intuitive to me and I just get it. Mm-hmm. Then that person is paired with someone who's non-contingent use and you can see you're like, dude, you're going to fuck him up. Like you're going to cause all the issues that people say come of punishment are going to become true because you're not using punishment. You're just randomly providing aversives. Mm. Right. And the same goes like. To an extent, with positive reinforcement as well. Like when you're trying to convince the dog of the right behaviors, when people, you know, sometimes in the learning phase still go to an intermittent schedule, not by on purpose, not with intention where you go, the dog's got it. You just like stop reinforcing. And so, of course, the behavior goes away. Mm. And that's when people start saying, he knows this. Why isn't he doing it? It's like, no, he doesn't know it, right? Because you're at a non-contingent use of positive reinforcement. You may as well have just been randomly throwing treats in the air. I love that adage. He knows this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the moment you have a high drive or a highly motivated dog and you have that dog understanding a marker that leads to the, like the moment you have one behavior reliably taught, right? Mm. You lose the ability to say, he knows this, right? Like on the regular. Mm. I think there's instances where you can say, there's competing motivators, there's other drives that's play, there's reasons the dog knows not this doing. under
1: perfect conditions. Yeah, yeah, because if the motivation is there, mm. I know things under perfect conditions too. Yeah. And the, under other times, it's it's completely absent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's
0: like, hey, if he knew it, he'd do it. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when you see people putting a heap of pressure on the dog. and You're like, hey, man. Do you know he- not to speed? Of course. Do you do it? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Especially don't at the moment. We've been through that. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I nearly ran a red light the other day. I was on my way home from something and yep. I, was, I was filming something for the- IPO thing I'm doing mm. and I didn't know where I was my following GPS and it was, I was at a confusing intersection and uh, I was the like old confusing intersection. Yeah. And mm. I was like, wait, am I turning here? And I was looking at the the GPS and then I look up and it's an orange light and I was like, shit, how long's that been orange? So I thought, nah, I'm not, I'm, not gonna I'm it on the brakes. And the red light camera went off cause I was like just into the intersection. Yep. But then the second flash, like, yeah, like they'd take the two photos to make sure, did you go through? And I was yep. like, I did not, sir. And I'm wow. fucking glad that I didn't. Or else, or else this conversation wouldn't be happening. Well, be, it'd be happening from your life. Yeah,
1: it'd be a Skype <laughs> session.
0: <laughs> hey, I reckon we wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, we've
1: talked it. Yeah. It's been around the block. Mm. Talked some stuff. All right, but I do have to have one admission before we, we do officially wind it up. What's that? Sorry, guys. Where the losers in the battle here, it's it's overwhelmingly the men that are causing the problems in the households that I've been to. Really? Yeah. Overwhelming. I'd probably agree with that.
0: Oh uh, Nah. I don't know that I could in my experience, I don't know that I would agree with that necessarily. I'm thinking of certain cases.
1: Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's things that I've seen which have been between volleying between both sides. But generally, the high-level arousal, it's yeah. it's the guys causing that issue. Yeah. Not all the issues. It's the high-level arousal and then leaving the wife to fix up the mess afterwards. That's mm. that's generally a guy thing to do. Could be. Yeah. Don't know. In right. my experience. All right. Hey, let's use this as an open topic now. It's over to you, fam. Yeah. So uh, all the TCPs in the discussion group, tell us about your experiences. If you're a trainer, budding or professional. Tell us about your experience. If you've gone and done some in-home mods and seen those high-level arousal situations, is it one or the other?
0: Mm, yeah. It's war of the sexes.
1: We kind of didn't want to open a can of worms, but fuck it. I just thought I'll just throw <laughs> all caution of the wind and just pull the pin out of the grenade and just throw it on the floor. Yep. Yep.
0: All right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Yep. If you want to support the show, you could jump into Patreon. Papa needs some new cameras. Mm. <laughs> um, three bucks a month gets you access in there. You could pay more if you like. That's totally fine. The other way you could support the show is Teespring. Yes. If you buy any cool merch from Teespring, don't be afraid to flaunt it. Post some photos of yourself in it. Tag us in it. Tag yeah, us I'd on Yeah, I'd love to gram. see you
1: guys wearing it out on walks or when you're training or doing some stuff. People, Some people do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, it's wonderful. Um, I love it. Yeah, I'd like to put some more of that on the gram. So yep. if you're on the gram and you've got some TCP merch, I often put it in the stories, but I'd love to include you in our ongoing yep. section as well. So, yep. DM yeah. us the pics. Yeah, DM cool. us the pics and
0: tell us a bit about it. Yep. I nearly said DM. Like it nearly sounded like I want, it almost sounded like I wanted people to send you dick pics on the
1: DM the dicks. <laughs> DM the dicks. <laughs> no, no, don't. No, no thank don't you. do that.
0: No. Stop it. Yep.
1: What are we up to? If you want to get
0: in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's where you can sort of group source information mm-hmm. if you want to know the dimensions of the box. People make jokes about that, right? But we still get at least once a
1: week. I got um, one. Did you see the email the other day yeah. which said, can you tell me where I can find more information on the dimensions of the box? Yeah. And I kind of thought, seriously? Well, it's because- the show's constantly growing, right? Yeah. And people go back. Like they might- We've still got new audiences hitting, yeah. hitting the. So
0: those old jokes yeah. or those, those old irritations are still coming back. Yep. So anyway. So
1: we're bringing Sweaty back.
0: The box, the dimensions don't matter. And if it's something you want to get in contact with us specifically about, you can shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. That's it. Goodbye. <coughs>